on-demand coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's the October 10 edition of the PFT PM Podcast 2018. You know, I promised one for Tuesday, and I just didn't feel like doing it yesterday. I'm not going to give you some excuse. Oh, I wasn't feeling well. I, I had something come up. I, I had to run an errand. You know, whenever someone says, well, I couldn't do that, I had to run an errand, like no one ever questions it. Oh, well, errand, you you must run an errand. Yeah, go ahead, please, please run your errands. We know that errands are very important. It's it's almost like it's a professional courtesy. Like we want to all be able to use that. I have to run errands excuse to get out of doing something. So we automatically respect whenever someone plays the I had to run errands card but I didn't I didn't I just I just didn't feel like doing it it was just one of those rare days where I fully intended to do it when I woke up and and uh, Tuesdays are yeah you know a little little a uh, little tired a little tired Tuesday mornings but uh, you know you fight through it you take a little nap and then you, you do the podcast in the afternoon and I, I just I didn't feel like doing it yesterday so why do it if I don't feel like doing it is it going to be good if I don't feel like doing it now there's an argument to be made that once I started I would have, you know, adapted and and uh, made it something that wasn't awful, but you know, I just didn't feel like doing it. But, uh, you know, today I did, so today we will. And there wasn't a lot going on yesterday either. You know, the news helps drive the interest in in what we talk about and whether we have the appropriate level of zeal and passion to discuss whatever it is that may be going on. So there's more going on today. And this is one of the old school versions of the PFTPM podcast. No guest, no, no topics that I've even thought about. This is just, Hey, what's going on since we did PFT live earlier today. And we capped PFT live with a debate about Drew Brees place among the all time great quarterbacks. And, you know, the more I think about this, the, the more I believe that Drew Brees already is definitely in the top 10 with the only question being whether or not he's in the top five. And and I think that you may have heard me say this, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Joe Montana, John Elway, not necessarily in that order, but they would all have spots in the top five. The question becomes who gets the next spot. So is it Breeze over Brett Favre? I'd say yes. I'd say absolutely yes. One championship each. And, and you know, one knock can be, oh, Drew Brees never won an MVP award. Well, you know what? Here's the problem. Drew Brees played at a time when Peyton Manning was in the league, in his prime. When uh, Tom Brady was in his prime. When, when Brett Favre was still going strong. And I, I think that Breeze gets overlooked all too often. I think Breeze just gets viewed as a yardage generator, not a guy that, that deserves consideration as MVP. I think in 2009, he arguably should have been the league MVP. Um, that was the year that they made it to the Super Bowl and won it. And, uh, you know, I, 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 that came up yesterday, and, and I can't remember who the NFL MVP was that year. If there was only something at our fingertips that we could use to uh to see who it was uh it i must have been peyton manning because yes it was peyton manning was it peyton manning uh that was brett Favre's year in minnesota that uh that ended up being a very special year i'm still having trouble finding this here we go the nfl mvp award all years 2009 it was indeed peyton manning for the second straight year and the the colts were the team that made it to the super bowl that year out of the afc and it was drew Brees and the saints who beat them and drew Brees ended up being the super bowl mvp and frankly between the two awards i'd say any football player would prefer super bowl mvp over regular season mvp so um I, I look at that, the same number of championships as Brett Favre. And Brett Favre wasn't even a Super Bowl MVP, so take that, Brett. Better statistical achievement. And the things that Drew Brees has done that we may not be thinking of, and this one's the most amazing to me, five 5,000-yard passing seasons when the rest of the NFL in its history, its history has four. Drew Brees has five. Every other quarterback that ever played combined has four. He's got the record for most passing yards. He's got the record for the most career completions. He's got the most seasons leading the league in passing yards. He's got the most consecutive 4,000-yard seasons. He's got the most consecutive games with a passing touchdown of 54. And he's got the most career 400-yard 
passing games. So I, I think that uh, that Breeze deserves a spot in the top five before Favre. I think he deserves a spot in the top five before Dan Marino. And Chris Sims is very passionate about what a great thrower of the football Dan Marino was. Well, I think greatness as a quarterback has more factors that go into it than that. And 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 you look at the sustained success, the sustained high achievement of Drew Brees, and unlike Marino, Brees has won a Super Bowl. Brees has that Super Bowl MVP, and I think there's something to be said for that. And at a minimum, he's in the top 10. The question that I pose is, can you make a good faith, plausible argument that he should have a spot in the top five? And And the reality is he's going to keep going. He's going to retire with maybe all of the major passing records. Now, Tom Brady may have something to say about that, but... I, I think that that Drew Brees is going to play at a higher level deeper into his lifespan than than Tom Brady will. But but anyway, I just wanted to start with that because uh, I saw the NBC Sports Twitter account was pushing that that clip from the day where where Sims and I got into it. And, you know, we don't try to argue just for the sake of argument. If there's something we genuinely disagree about, then we'll hash it out. I don't like fake contrived, embellished argument. I, I don't, oh, well, hey, what side of this do you want? Oh, I'll take that side. Yeah, let's have some fun with it. No, if I truly believe something and you truly believe something else, then we'll go out and have ourselves a nice little argument about it. And I think that's the way it should be. All right, uh, LaShawn McCoy to the Eagles. That trade rumor is out there. LaShawn McCoy told reporters today he heard about it. I just kind of stay focused on the job, the task at hand. I'll let that stuff work itself out. We'll see what happens. You know, I think McCoy would like to go back to Philadelphia. I think the Eagles are exploring all their options. That was the clear message that came from Doug Peterson's comments earlier today to reporters that just like last year, out of the blue, they trade for Jay Ajayi. This year, there's more of a pronounced need for a running back with Ajayi out for the year. Darren Sproles has been injured. Corey Clement's been banged up. And... If you could get LaShawn McCoy, if you could get Le'Veon Bell, if there's another guy out there you could get that we may not be thinking about. Now, Jordan Howard of the Bears, if I'm the Bears, I don't trade Jordan Howard because he's on his rookie contract. He's an inexpensive guy. You keep him and you use him and you let him leave as a free agent. I've seen some people suggest David Johnson of the Cardinals as a potential trade target. That makes no sense because the Cardinals would take like a $24 million cap charge. They just paid the guy a bunch of money. Why would you trade him? If you're interested in trading him, you don't sign him. You trade him instead. So I think it comes down to Bell or McCoy, and I think the Eagles would like to create the impression that they'd be potentially interested in either guy in order to negotiate the best possible deal if and when it ever comes to that. So... We got two weeks and five days, six days, two weeks and six days. Let me get that right. That's 20 days until the window forever closes for 2018 trades. Keep an eye on the possibility of some potential trade discussion between the Eagles and the Bills or the Eagles and the Steelers. And also, all it takes is one injury to a star running back to get someone else to the table for McCoy or for Val. And, you know, it could be that that the Bills want this LaShawn McCoy trade talk out there because they'd like to move on from him and get what they can, and they're trying to stir something up. The report originally came not from Philadelphia media, from, but from Buffalo media. And, uh, you know, it, it has accomplished the goal of getting the word out there that LaShawn McCoy may be available. So maybe another team calls the bills if they think hey hey yeah well maybe maybe this is a deal that we can do and there's a weird dance to all of this you want to have the upper hand you want to have the most leverage but ultimately a deal gets done or it doesn't get done and people move to their bottom line and if the trade interest is there on both sides something can happen the thing about bell though you've got to entice him if you're the eagles to come play and be all in and that's why i keep coming back to that cap space that was created by the Fletcher Cox restructuring, not just this year, but next year, so much more created next year than this year. And I, I think that that maybe this means the Eagles could structure something where they would give Bell a significant incentive payment for 2018 postseason to get him to go all in because the playoff share is so much less than his weekly pay. And when he's that close to getting his on-the-market unrestricted free agent payday, maybe you need 
some balloon payment that would be tied to playing in the postseason or performance in the postseason to get him to go all in and set aside any concerns about the money that he's potentially giving up. It's a cost-benefit analysis, and I don't know how much it takes to get him to feel good about it, but I know his concern is overuse, and there's got to be a concern about playing in the postseason in intense games for peanuts in comparison to your franchise tender when you're that close to getting your long-term payday on the free agency open market. All right, so that one is very interesting to me. Also, how about this? NFL fines Mike Tomlin $25,000 for criticizing officiating. It was funny how the life cycle of this story unfolded. Tomlin clearly crossed the line. You're not supposed to criticize the officials if you're a coach, period. That's what the league wants. Whether you agree with that or not, First Amendment, whatever you want to say, whatever argument you can make, that's your business. But... The way it's been. And one of the first items of business for Commissioner Roger Goodell was to fine the late Dan Rooney back in 2006 for criticizing officiating. You're just not supposed to do it. And it showed Goodell's independence because Rooney was one of the guys who championed Goodell as the successor to Paul Tagliabue. So Tomlin's on the competition committee and they floated the notion to Ian Rappaport, NFL employee. Yes, he's a reporter, but he's still an NFL employee. And I think they floated to him the idea that maybe they would cut Tomlin a break because of the emotion that arises after a game. Of course, the logical response to that is, what emotion? They won by 24 points. He, he's not going to be in the same impaired emotional state as a coach would be if his team lost as a direct result of a bad call that was made. And the bottom line is this. Unless you're going to have a floating standard, unless you're going to have a double standard, unless you're going to have inconsistency, you got to punish all these guys or none of them. I don't like the NFL's habit of fashioning a punishment based upon the situation. Well, yeah, you know, the officiating isn't very good. And Mike Tomlin is a member of the competition committee and make all these excuses and don't fine him and then whack someone else who isn't a member of the competition committee. Who's making a point that you substantively disagree with. Bottom line is the coaches need to keep this stuff in house The coaches need to confine any criticisms to the proper channels. And if you don't punish one for speaking out of turn, you're setting a precedent that invites any, some, or all of them to do the same. So, uh, look, if this is the rule they have, they need to enforce it. And, you know, people ask me sometimes, why, why why do you care? Well, I care because there should be order. There should be consistency. And one of the biggest things that can bring any business into troubling times is rampant inconsistency in the enforcement of its rules. If you're not going to enforce the rule, then change the rule. If you're not going to enforce the rule consistently, then you got a big problem because then you are just making it up as you go. And, and how many times have we accused the NFL of making it up as they go in recent years? I like the story that Joe Flacco's wife gave him a hard time because he doesn't sell it better when he's lined up wide at receiver. You got to sell it. Well, you know what happens when you sell it? What, you, you, what, well, you're going to get blasted like Dr. Death blasting Jack Dundee off the line of scrimmage back in the best of times. And there's a great gift that we tweeted of Mark Sanchez recoiling because a Bills defensive back when Sanchez was lined up wide because they were using the Wildcat Sanchez uh, uh, shied away from the contact. So, look, it's a free open shot on a quarterback. You don't want to put Joe Flacco in that position. So hopefully he continues to not sell it because the moment he starts trying to sell it is the moment that somebody's going to give him a free legal shot that could potentially screw things up for the Ravens at the quarterback position. Looking to see what else is going on here. The... The uh, Deshaun Watson injury issue, I feel great for sure playing this week. He's considered day-to-day with a chest injury. The way he got banged around the other night, Deshaun, don't put the team in position to have Brandon Whedon on the field. That that is the the biggest concern that the, uh, the, the Texans collectively should have right now. And I, I like the idea of wanting to be tough. I like the idea of having that, that courageous mindset. But you also have to be realistic. The more you get hit, the more likely you're going to get hurt. And it's, it's inevitably going to happen. You keep taking those hits, it's going to happen. And one of the things I liked about Watson last year, he seemed to have the instinct on how to avoid getting hit. This year, I think he still has it. He just doesn't care. And he's going to care if he ends up getting himself injured again. And you'd think he would know what what the downside 
is because we saw it happen last year with the torn ACL. All right, one more before I answer some of your questions. The former employee of the Fulham Football Club who claims that Shad Khan, the owner of the Fulham Football Club and the Jacksonville Jaguars, secretly intends to move the Jaguars to London. This one's juicy. Craig Klein comes out and says it. That Khan told Klein to stay quiet about the secret plan to buy Wembley Stadium and move the Jaguars to London in 2022. Klein has said of Khan that moving the Jaguars from Florida to the United Kingdom remains his priority. Jaguars spokesman, more accurately, Shad Khan spokesman, Jim Woodcock, says there is nothing more or that this is nothing more than the same ongoing nonsense and bogus claims made by a former employee who left the club in 2017. Nothing here merits a further response. All right. Well, we'll see. It either happens or it doesn't happen. And I've taken Shad Khan at his word that he intends to keep the team in Jacksonville. Now, does he intend to maybe play two or three games a year in London? Would he intend to have a split home schedule? Four games in Jacksonville and four games in London, like the old county stadium in Lambeau thing Green Bay did, just with a hell of a lot more miles in between? That wouldn't surprise me if it came to it. You still call them the Jacksonville Jaguars, but they play half their games in London? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. And and if you have the people in Jacksonville sufficiently scared they're going to lose all the games, then maybe they are happy to keep four. So, look, here's the thing about moving a team to London. Logistically, it will be a major pain in the ass to have a team based in London. Number one, you're going to have players who don't want to be there. Not just because they want to be in the United States. It's not an America first type of a thing. It's that when you are living and playing football in the U.S., when it's time to have a road game, typically, typically, you'll leave on Saturday and you're back on Sunday night. Now, sometimes you'll leave a day or two early, and sometimes you'll, you know, if you got two games on the West Coast back-to-back, you stay out there the whole week. We see that happen from time to time. But typically, you're gone for a couple of days. If you're playing in London, you're going to be gone for like three weeks at a time. I mean, they've already talked about that, a East Coast base of operations. You know, they were talking about an NFL minor league at some point that would have a facility on the East Coast that would double as the American facility for the London team. And and then so you're there for the three weeks that you you practice and you then you fly to play the team you're going to play. Then you come back to that, that facility until it's time to go back home. I mean, who wants that? And also between tax rates, exchange rates, the inconvenience of of being in London, taking your family to London, leaving them three weeks at a time, for example, I think what they'd have to do is create some sort of of separate set of rules where you have more cap space or whatever the case may be to help the team in London. Then the problem is if that team in London thrives, all the other teams are going to say, well, they're thriving because they have too much help. You're going to have constant whining and complaining from the various teams that they're doing too much to help the London team. And then if the London team is suffering, well, we're not doing enough to help us. It's a convenient excuse. Well, we can't get the best free agents. We can't do this. We can't do that. And then what if what if there's a guy who's dead set against playing in London, gets drafted by the London team, whether it's the Jaguars or somebody else, and just says, screw it. I'm sitting out the whole year and I'm re-entering the draft. I don't want to live in London. I refuse to do it. So these are all issues that, that uh, make it harder to pull off. And it comes up every year. I think the NFL likes that. I think that that's part of the the carrot that gets dangled to the uh, to the fans in London. The idea that they um, that they end up being more engaged and more interested in the three or four games they get per year because there's this vague possibility that at some point down the line they're going to have their own team in London. I, I really do think that the NFL likes that tease. And, you know, every once in a while, somebody will say maybe they'll play a Super Bowl in London. I don't think that's ever happening, but I think they like talking about it. I think they like they like the chatter. They like the speculation because I think it may make the team, the, the people in London, more interested because they're fascinated by what it all can become. They're more into it. Oh, oh they may move a team here. Hey, let's go see the game. Hey, you know what? Hey, they may be moving here. We're on the ground floor of the fan base of the Jacksonville Jaguars before they move here. So I think a lot has to happen before that ever occurs. And two things, and then I'm going to move on. One, if you move one team, you got to move two. 
because you have to have that geographic rival. You got to have two London teams that hate each other or a London team and an Ireland team. You got to have two that are on the same continent, that are in the same country, minimum. Also, with this proliferation of great quarterback play, and we've got the item at PFT with you know the average passer rating is 93.4, and there's 10 guys with a passer rating north of 100, and all the metrics are up, all the numbers are up, everything is up, 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 up. I, I think that if this trend continues of young quarterbacks coming in and teams getting them and having a guy for 10 or 15 years who can be a great contributor, I think that, that maybe we're solving the problem of not having enough quarterbacks to go around and every team will be in position to have a quarterback and maybe there'll be too many quarterbacks, which means maybe we can have more teams. Maybe we can finally expand. My default position for the last decade has been anytime anyone talks about expansion, no. There aren't enough quarterbacks to go around. When there are enough quarterbacks to go around, I think the obvious the obvious choice becomes expanding. And that's a way. Look at it this way. The NFL wants more regular season games. Maybe they'll get it at some point. But why do they want more regular season games? Well, they want more TV windows. And they want to make the money that comes from that. Well, if you have more teams, you're not necessarily going to have more TV windows, although you could add an extra buy and get an extra weekend of windows that way. But what you get is more games. And if they're going to make money off of the betting during games, the in-game betting things that they're going to do with the apps, and you press the button, you bet on this, you bet on that, the more total games you have, even if you don't have more than 16 per team, the more total games you have, you go from 256 to however many more you would have if you add you know, one or two or three or four teams, that's more money for everybody. I mean, I, look, the NFL, I think, is going to focus on that reality of more. Once the gambling money starts to come in, they're going to realize we can make more by having more product, by having more games that count. So um, expansion, you know, if there's going to be a London team, maybe it'll be an expansion team. Or, or, or maybe maybe you let Shad Khan take the Jaguars to London and you give Jacksonville an expansion team. The second expansion team Jacksonville's had. But either way, the, the point is this. Um, there's a lot of money to be made. The NFL is going to want to make it. And I think everything is on the table as the NFL tries to make as much money as it possibly can. So let's keep an eye on all of that as we move forward. All right, time to answer your questions. It looks like there is a decent number of them. I'm saying that as I buy time here to try to find the tweet that was posted with the perfunctory Batman gif. There it is. Some dude in a Batman mask who is definitely not Batman. Oh, bunch of questions today. Oh, boy. Here we go. All right. PFTPM Posse says, the Charles Robinson article, looking at the decline of NFL ratings, is awesome and seems to prove what our PFTPM Posse has been saying, that the other 75% of the country also watches football and not just because of old, or not just the base of old privileged white dudes. What with the evidence, will they change? I haven't read the Charles Robinson article, but I think the point is that the notion that people have quit watching football because of Colin Kaepernick and kneeling during the anthem, that's been completely debunked. And, and the problem with that is that the owners signed on to that argument, right? They, they decided to cater to the fan base that was huffing and puffing about blowing the NFL's house down, even though it never even tried to blow the NFL's house down. So I, I, I just think that all of this makes the Colin Kaepernick collusion case and the still pending Eric Reed collusion case more viable. And remember, just because Eric Reed has a job now doesn't mean collusion wasn't happening. The end of collusion does not mean the collusion that was occurring didn't occur. And they're going to have a chance to prove collusion. And this very curious decision by the NFL to run scared over something that wasn't actually happening is bizarre to say the least. Tom G post has a point to make overtime is complicated and unsatisfying CFL overtime is riveting. Despite having second rate players, each team gets a possession from the opponent's 35 yard line. If it's still tied, they go again. Friday's overtime game between the lions and the tiger cats was amazing. Well, you know where I stand on overtime. I say, First and goal from the 10, must go for two, back and forth until someone has more points than the other team. And I think it gets it done more quickly. You know, no one said boo about the fact that the Colts had 34 extra snaps last Sunday before having to play the Patriots on Thursday night. And two years ago when the Buccaneers had 32 extra snaps, when overtime went 15 minutes, 
And it didn't quite go 15 minutes for the Buccaneers and the Raiders on that Sunday in October of 2016. But the Bucs played the following Thursday. And that was a time when there was much more criticism of Thursday night football. Those were the poop fest days. Remember that from Richard Sherman? The criticism has gone away. So the NFL felt compelled two years ago to try to circle the wagons and support Thursday night football and seal off potential avenues for criticism. Now I feel like the NFL doesn't feel compelled to do that. So, hey, the Colts had 34 extra snaps. So what? There isn't a big groundswell about it. They, the, the Thursday night football concept is locked in through 2022. Fox is paying a huge premium to televise the games, and they're not going to worry about it, although they should. And I think if they did care about player safety and if they really did want to have the same set of rules from postseason to regular season, and if they didn't want ties, and I think everyone ends up being pissed off after a tie. I'd rather have one fan base happy and one fan base upset. Let's do it. Let's do it. They do penalty kicks in soccer. They do penalty shots in hockey. Eventually, let's just do scrimmage plays from the 10 first and goal back and forth and you must go for two i think that would be a lot more exciting and a lot more definitive than what we currently have and also less wear and tear on the players you know the browns have already played 30 extra minutes of football in five regular season games they've played five and a half games in five games and i don't think that's going to be good for anybody over the long haul All right, another question from Tom G. Post. At what point can we say the Patriots got the last laugh by essentially stripping the Eagles of their offensive coordinator after the Super Bowl when they held on to Josh McDaniels? I mean, really, I I think that the Patriots would have rather won the Super Bowl, but the way things worked out, yes, you make the Eagles weaker and you keep yourself as strong as you always were by keeping Josh McDaniels around, although I don't know how much the Patriots, I don't know, the Patriots butthurt about the Eagles beating them. I think the bigger issue about the Super Bowl is why wasn't Malcolm Butler playing? And I th- there's a belief out there if he had played, the Patriots would have been able to to contain the Eagles enough to outscore them. Tom Brady had 505 passing yards in that game. All right, let's see what else we have here. Man of Water, 3615. What was the detailed reaction from the league office on Kaepernick Nike deal and his upcoming appearances, book deal, etc.? Are they just going to let him continue to be the elephant in the room until the end of time? The league office has been very quiet about the Colin Kaepernick situation. Remember the statement that was issued after the Nike deal? They didn't even mention Kaepernick's full name. They just said Colin. It was just weird. Like they felt compelled to issue a statement about the Nike deal. And it was a statement that really said nothing. Here's the bottom line. There is a collusion case that will go to a hearing. It could be before the end of this calendar year. And it will be, as I've said before, a combination of the trial in My Cousin Vinny and the trial in the Seinfeld finale. It will be a parade of witnesses who are not used to submitting to anyone's authority other than their own, billionaires who don't want to be told what to do, who will resent being asked a bunch of aggressive questions by a lawyer. And they all hate lawyers because lawyers... Here's why really rich, successful people hate lawyers. They hate lawyers for the same reason Michael Scott hated Toby. Because lawyers tell you you can't do things that you want to do. And there's a natural animosity. Instead of thinking, thank you for protecting me, for protecting my reputation, for protecting my assets and my ass by telling me what I can't do. You know, some lawyers are too cautious. Some lawyers are too careful. Some lawyers are too conservative. And it pisses off the people who they advise. And I've been there. I've been there. I remember being in the room, and it's been probably, how many years ago? Maybe 20 years ago, there was a corporate client that I used to advise, and the person who ran the the facility where there was some question, can't I can't even begin to remember what it was, and I, I'm sworn to the whole, I, I don't know, I'm, I don't practice law anymore, and I, I don't even have a license anymore, so what are they going to do? They're going to disbar me from something I'm never going to do again, but I still can't reveal any of the specifics. Not that I remember many of them, but I do remember... I mean, I remember who the client was, and I do remember the manager at the facility getting visibly pissed off and yelling at me because I was making the case as to why they couldn't do what they wanted to do, more specifically what he wanted to do. He wants to do it, and he doesn't want anyone telling him he can't. Well, I'm sorry, but this is the risk that you're encountering if you proceed with this strategy. And if you want to do it, that's fine, but here's the letter from me 
explaining to you that you've accepted this risk. And if it all blows up, then uh, I told you so. And um, so back to my original point. These billionaires hate lawyers for that reason. And these billionaires are going to be questioned aggressively by Mark Garrigus and Ben Maselis. And it's going to get ugly. You know, we, we've heard the term perjury trap get thrown around on the question of whether Donald Trump should should be interviewed under oath by Robert Mueller. And I think the trap is not saying something that someone else can contradict credibly or that multiple other peoples can contradict credibly or that objective facts can contradict credibly, but the witness contradicting himself, right? If you let someone talk long enough who is used to getting his way and used to talking his way out of any situation he's in that is a situation, there's a chance that in the first five minutes, he's going to say one thing, and a half hour later, he's going to say something completely the opposite. So you do not want that parade of billionaires who do not want to be questioned, who think that they can outsmart the lawyers, who think that they can talk their way out of anything, who think they should be able to talk their way out of anything, and damn it, why aren't you cutting me some slack? Don't you know who I am? I don't think the NFL wants that. So I think a settlement of this thing would make the most sense. The question is, how much money would it take? And... Uh, how hard would Garrigus squeeze the NFL? Because I think Garrigus is smart enough to realize that that it's not just avoiding the potential of losing the thing. It's avoiding having this potential cluster fudge of a hearing. And God, I wish it was in open court, but it won't be. The transcript at some point, I think, will make its way to the media and it will be a fascinating read. But that's a big reason for the NFL to find a way to get Colin Kaepernick back in the NFL, find a way to settle this and move on, pay the money and move on. That's going to be much better than the alternative of having Bob Kraft, Bob McNair, Jerry Jones, Roger Goodell, owner after owner, key figure after key figure, testifying, 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 and the testimony creating a picture of potential perjury as these folks try to talk their way out of and around whatever whatever objective facts paint a picture that maybe there was indeed collusion happening. PFTPM Posse. Since the Cowboys refuse to change anything, why not trade for Le'Veon Bell? Bell and Zeke are both better receivers than what they currently have, and they can run a triple option style attack with Dak and throw deep here and there for six plus years now, building a dominant run game. Why stop now? Yeah, I, I like the creativity, but it's almost like the, the, strategy and the approach to the passing game it's become this weird ego thing for the cowboys right we don't need a number one receiver well yes you do no we don't yes you do well we haven't had a number one receiver here's how little we don't need one we haven't had one for several years including the year that we made it to the playoffs and almost got to the nfc championship game so we don't need one so now moving forward are they going to not draft a potential number one guy just to prove their point are they going to not sign a guy who could become a potential number one guy just to prove their point. I mean, they applied the damn franchise tag to Des Bryant. They paid him big money. Now, maybe in hindsight, they shouldn't have, but he had three straight thousand yard seasons. He was a number one receiver. And now they act like they, they never needed one. And it's such a weird, I don't know what the deal is with the Cowboys and Des Bryant, where the Joneses like had been trying very hard to tiptoe on eggshells, but now Jerry Jones is starting to take a step back from that. And I think, I think the Jones have has the Joneses have a hope that it doesn't get ugly between them and Bryant. And I think if it gets ugly between them and Bryant, there could be all sorts of interesting things alleged and said and done by the Cowboys and by Bryant. But uh, it just feels like it's moving in that direction. Um, and uh, I, I think if I'm Des, I'm pissed about the whole you know, we, we didn't have a number one receiver for the past few years. Attitude. Another one from PFTPM Posse, the runner of that count, clearly a Cowboys fan. Jason Garrett wears the same thing every day, preaches the same message to his players every day, year reinforces the same concept, schemes every day. Seahawks players spoke out about Pete Carroll for it. Why do we not see Cowboys players even anonymously? Isn't Alan Hearns? Hasn't Alan Hearns been doing that? He's probably not going to be a Cowboy for long. But... Look, the Cowboys players all do uh, comply with uh, with what the boss wants. But, you know, at, at some point, Jason Garrett's not going to be the coach. And it's not going to be because he retired or resigned. He's going to get pushed out. And it could be this year. If they don't make it to the playoffs, we've already seen 
the disconnect between Garrett when he defended punting fourth and one from the Houston 42 in overtime and Jerry Jones, the owner of the team, after the game saying that's a point where you have to roll the dice. I could see. I could see this moving in the direction of Jerry Jones. And Shereen Williams is a believer that if they don't get to the playoffs this year, that's when Jerry Jones goes the other way and doesn't any longer feel compelled to be able to claim credit for building the team and goes out and finds an alpha male head coach who is going to want to build the team and Jones will let him build the team and Jones will just ride sidecar like he did under Bill Parcells and like he did under Jimmy Johnson. That, that this may be the point where they hit the bottom and Jerry Jones decides, you know what, if I'm going to hold a Lombardi trophy again and it's been 23 years since he has, I need someone who's more adept than me at building a roster and running the team and ultimately coaching the team to be here. The Real Forno, when do the Vikings need to start worrying about Adam Thielen making $10 million less than Stephon Diggs? Uh, now, right? I, and I need to write this. I, I had a story the other day about how Kirk Cousins is earning his money. Adam Thielen's definitely earning his money. Five straight 100-yard games, and he's making $4.8 million a year, while Stephon Diggs is making 14.4. I think at a minimum, the Vikings should have done the Gronk-Brady incentive-type package where, based on performance, Thielen gets more money. And I think after this year, they've got to take care of Adam Thielen. The problem is, as you pay more and more guys market value or something close to it, you become harder-pressed to have the depth that you need. You need young players to step in and play well. You need to draft well. You need that that class of guys who are making much less money than the stars to be able to perform at a high level. And there's risk there. And, and look at where the Vikings are now. Like, what depth do they have behind Dalvin Cook? Latavius Murray? Sorry, he ain't getting it done. What depth do you have on the offensive line? Not nearly enough. What depth do you have at defensive end? Not nearly enough. That becomes a problem. But they do need to pay Adam Thielen. At the real four, no, how are things going with your nephew regarding T-shirts? You know that just kind of died. I need I need to to talk to him, but but that just kind of died. He had some neat designs where there was like one that had a '70s vibe, one had an '80s vibe, one had a '90s vibe. But uh, it's just hard with everything that's going on. But uh, we'll explore that. Mike likes dirt. Do you think Amazon should buy the rights to Sunday Ticket? I've been pleased with the TNF viewing experience on Prime Video. Hashtag millennial. I think that that uh, the NFL is going to exercise its right to terminate after the 2019 season the Sunday ticket deal. And, and I think that they understand that the streaming rights will drive this more than the satellite rights. And one thing to watch going forward, whether it relates to the Sunday ticket package or the various broadcast windows. And I don't know if I've mentioned this in this setting. I haven't written it yet. But I'm going to at some point. I think that there is a possibility that when the next TV deal ends, when the deals end, and it's time to sell these again, it's going to start with Monday Night Football, which expires a year before the rest of the packages. I think the NFL is going to start selling these by entire windows. They're going to sell all of the 1 o'clock games. They're going to sell all of the 405 games. They're going to sell all of the 425 games. In fact, they may just make all of the late games 425. They're going to sell all the Sunday night games, all the Monday night games, all the Thursday night games, all as one window. And they're going to sell it to one company. And that company is then... Now, I don't know that they're going to do this. I just I, I thought of this uh, initially because that that company DAZN, that awkward D-A-Z-N DAZN, which is trying to break into the U.S. market. Remember last year when they got the Canadian rights, the exclusive Canadian broadcast rights, and they were only streaming them? What a mess that was. This year, they've allowed DAZN to basically sublease to cable operators, to anyone. They can sell those rights. They can resell the rights. They buy the global package from the NFL, and they can resell. I think that's what may happen. For example... Thursday Night Football. Let's say that Amazon buys it, buys the whole window from the NFL, and then has the right to do whatever it wants with those games. Okay, well, one thing we're going to do is we're going to put it on Amazon Prime. No brainer. We're also going to sell the TV rights to highest bidder. Hey, Fox. Hey, CBS. Hey, NBC. Hey, ABC. Make your bid. You resell that. You resell the... And, and remember this concept. The latency-free feed. That's going to be a very valuable item as gambling spreads because I think there's going to be a higher level of pay-per-view, a higher level of 
however it works, streaming, some kind of special box in your house, whatever it is, high-speed fiber line, whatever it is, there's going to be a higher level of real-time sports. And, and that's probably what, you know, if I had the money, I'd start the company where I would provide real-time, instantaneous sport, sporting event feeds to your home. So what? What can you do from your home? You can bet on every play. You can bet on every drive with no latency as it's happening. It's the same technology that they're using from the NFL stadiums to pipe the feedback to 345 Park Avenue. As it happens, here it is. And there's no delay. So you have the full 40 seconds between plays. You, you, you know, there is no danger of the play starting before you make your bet. That's a window. That's a, an aspect of that window that would be sold by Amazon or whoever. So there's a lot of money that can be made by the giant company, whether it's a TV company, a media company, a tech company, whoever, that buys the rights to the window. Then it's up to them to figure out how to parse it out. And the NFL just sits back and, and takes the giant check from one company. So I could see that happen. Anyway, how do we get down that rabbit hole? Oh, with the whole Amazon thing. Terry Gensler, would the union agree to more practices and more off-season contact workouts if the owners would give guaranteed contracts? I, I Look, guaranteed contracts are never going to be part of the CBA. The minute you have mandatory guaranteed contracts, here's what happens. All contracts become shorter at that point. It would be a bunch of guys on one or two-year rentals. And I don't know that, that that's good for the NFL. I don't think the NFL would want that. Um, but... I, I, and I don't know the, I don't know the players would, I don't know. I don't know what the players would want there. Would the players rather have shorter term guaranteed contracts? I mean, the problem is the teams can cut them anytime they want. And when you get into the non-guaranteed years of a long-term deal, you know, my thinking is that if the team doesn't tear it up, that means it's a bad deal for the player. And if the team does tear it up, that's because it became a bad deal for the team. So it's always bad for the player. It's always better to get back to the market and force a renegotiation. You could just have players moving a lot more frequently than they currently do. But uh, I don't know that it's going to be that that simple. More practices, more workouts, and give us, in return, guaranteed contracts. I just don't know that that's something that the players should be fighting for. I think the better thing that you can try to get is more money. Just more money. You want more workouts, you want more OTAs, give me more money. You want more games, give me more money. On tour forever, Brandon Cooks got lit up on an obvious targeting with the helmet. How was that not called on the field, and why didn't the officials in the command center call the field officials? Look, um, I don't think it was targeting. I think there was helmet contact with Cooks' helmet. It was not a defenseless player violation because Cooks had the ball and he was running with it. He had time to protect himself. It was not a square, flush crown of the helmet spearing kind of a hit. And I think that, that with the... The dramatic revision. Remember, we're changing the rule against lowering the helmet to initiate contact without changing it. Remember that back in August? They've clearly changed the rule. There have hardly been any of those calls made, and I think they're only going to call it when the crown of the helmet is what makes contact, when there's a dipping of the helmet and a ramming with the top of the helmet. And that didn't happen. It was more of a shoulder blow to the helmet of Brandon Cooks. And in that setting, you're allowed to hit him in the helmet. You still can't spear him with your helmet in the helmet, but you can hit him in the helmet with your shoulder, with your elbow, with your forearm. And that's a different rule change. That, that, that's a rule change that, that would revolutionize the game if all of a sudden you can no longer hit a ball carrier in the helmet. All right. Let's see what else we got here. Man of Water 3615. Oh, we already got that one. That one was... Uh... Posed by PFTPM Posse earlier, Terry Gensler, 14. The Panthers won the NFC South in 2014 with a 7-8-1 record in a tight division. NFC East, is it smart to play for a tie? I think you always want to play for the win. You're always better off to have the win. The tie makes it easier to win tiebreakers, but I, I think that you, you, want to, you want to play for the win. You want the win. Yeah, it's better to take a loss than a tie, but it's better to take a win than a loss. Because even though it's easier to win the tiebreaker when you have the tie... The win makes it easier to be in, you know. I mean, let, let me give you the example. If you're seven, eight, and one, you win the tie with the seven and nine team. But if you're eight and eight, you also win the tie with the seven and nine team. And maybe you'd win a tie with the, an eight and eight team. 
So you want the win. Uh, what else do we have here? Stephen Wise, 89, which NFL head coach of all time do you think best compares in personality and demeanor to new SCOTUS Justice Kavanaugh? Boy, I don't know. I haven't thought about that. But somebody asked earlier today which NFL coach would make the best president. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to do the political rabbit hole except on days where I really have something I want to say. And I, I don't know. I guess the, uh, the, the head coach of all time that likes beer the most, right? Because that's the one thing we know about Kavanaugh. He liked beer, still likes beer. Matt in Beantown, does the dog still mess in the house? Not often. Here's when the dog pees in the house. There are certain people who come to visit and the dog gets excited and the dog pees in the house. The dog rarely pees in the house because the dog's bladder is full and the dog hasn't let us know that the dog needs to go outside. The dog went to the groomer today. And apparently when they were trying to get the matting out from under her chin, she bit. That's a new one. She bit them. Not like angry bite, but she bit. So we got to work on that. On tour forever. How are you doing in your fantasy leagues? You really don't want to know. I suck in my fantasy leagues. Both of them. I think I'm two and three in both leagues. You don't want to know. You're just setting me up to say you don't give a shit. Jerry Bissett, what were your thoughts on Sims' comment about all you had to do? Well, <laughs> uh, Sims Sim said at some point with the NFL, all you have to do is blow on a guy uh, to get a roughing the passer penalty. And I didn't say anything in response. I just started laughing because I have the mentality of an eight-year-old. That's kind of sad at 53. I still have the mentality of an eight-year-old. On tour forever, why are we never going to find out why Jameis Winston was suspended only three games when other first-time offenders like Zeke got six? If I were an NFL owner, I'd be furious that the punishment for the two isn't equal. Look, I think that it, I know it was negotiated. From things I've seen reported and discussed, it was negotiated down to three. So Jameis Winston didn't drag the NFL through an appeal process that would expose this Keystone Cops kangaroo court reality of the NFL making up as it goes. Also, I think the NFL realized that if all of the the details had been released about what happened with Jameis Winston, there's a chance that, that he ends up being cut by the Buccaneers and no one wanting him. And the NFL is not in the business of running off good young quarterbacks. Now, Winston has been sued, and as more of the facts come out in that setting, you know that could be the thing that is the tipping point for Jameis Winston and could make a team not want him. We'll just have to see how, how disturbing the details are. But I think the NFL wanted to do him a favor and not let those out. And the NFL wanted to do itself a favor and not have further scrutiny of the kangaroo court Keystone Cops approach that the NFL takes to discipline for off-field behavior. Valley Man 12, does Todd Bowles need the playoffs to avoid the unemployment line? I think so. I think so. But hey, they beat the Broncos this weekend. But but I think so. It just There's a, there's a bad vibe with the Jets right now. At the real Forno, is Stephon Diggs the best route runner in football? I think Adam Thielen may be. That's what I think. Jerry Bissett, who decides the uniforms for game day? I mean, the teams do, right? The home team gets to pick whether it's going to wear dark or light colored. And then, uh, um, you know, if, if you're wearing dark, then you've got your alternate uniform that you can use a few times a year. Like the Browns have used that. That really, I like their, their color rush uniform better than anything else they wear. But the home team decides dark or light. And then I think just the team, I don't know, the coach, I don't know, do the players vote on it? I think it's all determined like before the season even begins. But uh, I, I don't I don't know the specifics there. But you'd like to think that the players would have some input in it, especially if there's like some combination that they think is, you know, lucky for them. And that happens from time to time. Remember in 94 when they did the throwbacks for the first time and every team had a throwback, the 75th anniversary of the NFL and the 49ers used the the numbers with the shadow, that that became a thing, and they got permission to continue to wear those the rest of the year. So, you know, that, that I don't know, sometimes that happens. Uh, let's see what else we got here. I got to wrap this up. I got a meeting here coming up. I have to run an errand. I got to run an errand. I, I have to I have to go run an errand. Terry Gensler, what are the chances the Eagles really trade for Le'Veon Bell? I, I think that there's a possibility it happens. I really do. I don't know. I don't know that it's definitely going to happen. I think that, um, I think that that it very well could, and I think the Eagles will evaluate it. And if Le'Veon Bell can be persuaded 
to take whatever financial package the Eagles would offer and if it can be a reasonable compensation for the Steelers. Why wouldn't you do it if you're the Eagles and you want to go all in and try to win the Super Bowl? And if the Steelers have moved on from Le'Veon Bell and they want to go with James Conner, then it, it just makes sense. What else do we have here before we wrap this up? Salty life. After hearing you explain the concept of assault, could it be said that you could get Paul Allen if he pinches your side again? Also, could you change that sound on the PFT podcast? It sounds like football players running into each other to the sound of Paul pinching you and you hitting him. Actually, it would be assault and battery if Paul Allen grabs my sides again. He has not done that in a while because he knows that I will. I've given him fair warning. He will be punched in the face if he ever does it again. All right, I think that's it. Uh... Oh, one more. Potatoes don't surf. Is Julio Jones tradable specifically to the Dallas Cowboys? I think he's tradable. I don't know. I don't, I don't know why the Falcons would want to trade him. Um, he wants a, a new contract. He got a little bit of a fix this year. But uh, it sure sounds like the Cowboys would be interested in him when you got Jerry Jones talking openly about a number one receiver like Julio Jones. But I, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I don't know. I, you can't rule out any trade, and there's no trader, there's no player that is completely untradeable or untouchable, but I'd be surprised if that happens. All right, that's it for today's PFTPM podcast. I can't promise one tomorrow, although I probably should do one tomorrow because Friday I have to run an errand. Friday I have to run an errand to my hometown because a buddy of mine's daughter is getting married, and the wedding is on a Friday, which is good because if it was Saturday, I probably couldn't do it at all. So Friday, got to do it. Friday, no PFTPM podcast, so it looks like the full week six preview is going to come tomorrow. Thank you, as always, for your support of the PFTPM podcast. Thank you for your support of everything we do at ProFootballTalk.com. It's a Chris Sims day tomorrow on PFT Live. Check us out there and uh, talk to you again tomorrow. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.